Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, Mm -hmm. is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, Mm -hmm. the stuff of real life, and we've been having that around here this weekend. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure, Mm -hmm. although it can be that. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. She said it, this has been quite a week for us here. And I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm still vibrating from what's been going on in our, in our city, in our community, with people that we are helping, people that we're meeting. Uh, the wildfires have been spreading. This is the Kincaid Fire. The Kincaid Fire is where we are. And there's other uh, fires that are springing up too. Um, it seems that the wind is carrying the fl- the sparks to other areas. The wind the, has been tremendous. Yeah, high winds. This is really a traumatic time in our area, and um, to see it on such a mass level, it, it you just can't help it. It's infectious, and uh, people are beside themselves. Petaluma again is a haven for. So many people. I I don't know what the numbers. Are. It's enormous. There's there are quite a few of. Um, uh, places for people to stay. Yeah. Uh, the restaurants have been working overtime trying to take care of everyone. The town is packed. And the restaurants, downtown has electric. The rest of us don't. So that's been another added burden. And uh, the electric company PG&E is, I think, added to the trauma because they've just made life so much harder for so many people. But um, at least, they're, you know, they're trying to prevent these fires from getting any from their equipment it's getting uh, any going any further but nonetheless people have been so frightened um it is a terrifying time and i will add and i know you're going to get to this that i think that what adds to the uh, distress that people are feeling right now is uh the experience that we went through two years ago absolutely with the wine country fires that happened then. absolutely and we did papers on it we uh, published papers um, we did a video on it to help people rec- uh, who were recovering from the trauma and the losses. But here we go again, and it's much bigger than I realized. It just kept getting more and more and affecting more and more people. Whole cities are being evacuated. Large, gr- large land areas being evacuated. I think it's precautionary, and I think it's smart, but it's still a quite. It's such an upheaval for people. Very much so. And I've talked to people who are fleeing. And uh, they talk about their their home may be surviving, but next door, I talked to a lady yesterday, she said the house just blew up in flames. And it wasn't even the main fire. It was from sparks from carried by the wind. They'd been blown. And the whole house just blew up. And uh, she said we were ordered to evacuate. And our house, we don't think, was touched, but the next door was just blown up. And it's just so traumatic. Uh, it's hard to explain it, but I'll tell you one of the things that happened Friday night. Uh, for some reason, um, we were sleeping, and we have an, uh, an alarm system. It must be, I don't know, it's its pretty complex. And at 1.30 in the morning, we started getting um, uh, sirens going off and saying, there is a fire spreading, you need to evacuate immediately, and it was serious. And I bolted up. Um, 
I gathered things up. I bet you it took me no longer than five minutes to get everything together that I thought we needed. And then I had to get my wife, who can't walk anymore, see and prepare how I was going to carry her. You've heard about those times when that ad adrenaline is pushing so high that you could lift a car? Yeah. Well, that's the way I felt. And I've had those experiences. And I thought, she's very hard to move. I could have carried her right to the wherever we needed to go. That's how uh, adrenalized I was. I know you could have done it. And I can do that. And I, But, you know, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard um, to even come down afterwards. And one of the things I found out afterwards, of course, after I did everything, I looked for the fires. There was nothing outside. I looked for the fires in the house. There was nothing. And I called the fire department and the first responders who were friends to ours. And they said, there isn't a fire. There's a fault in your uh, alarm systems. Mm. But I got to tell you, I was I was vibrating all day, and I needed some of that energy because we did have to prepare for the emergencies, and the whole city was just. That's when the alerts itself. went out saying there's a possible uh, power sh shutdown that will happen, and and get busy if you need supplies and uh, equipment to get ready. I know, and they were. And right. you did. I did. But I was. I was <laughs> you a and uh, you and about a million other people. It felt I know. like I was a latecomer because <laughs> I didn't believe it. But let me tell you, by Saturday and after that uh, alarm in the in the evening. I, I was hustling, and what I found is most of the things were gone that we needed already. But the stores, the lines were incredible. People were panicked. Um, they were so frightened, and um, oh, it was it's you know, and people were kind, I, at least to me. It wasn't that they were abrupt or nasty to me, um, and they were helpful to each other. Everybody was being pretty helpful to each other. Interestingly. Um, but I'm sure there's many out there that were out of control. I'll tell you the driving, because we're getting uh, caravans of people coming from other cities into Petaluma, that is a dangerous thing right now because they are beside themselves driving. They are distressed and they don't know the city as well. and so They're disoriented. Yeah. you got to be really... And the lights don't work. Some of the lights. intersections are... Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a crisis. And these fires are hell on earth they're unbelievable the interestingly um i think one of the things that comes to mind of course since we deal with caregivers so much and how to help them uh, very deserving people um the folks that I, we haven't mentioned specifically that are my favorites are the first responders yes and they always have been um in fact uh, a a number of them helped us start our nonprofit. They were very much a part of um, the development of our nonprofit. Um, and they were yeah, wonderful Lou, people. Lou and Lori. Lou and Lori, and there were some others that they came too. That came with them. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're very important. But now I see the, the incredible stress that these people live under and work with. They're special people. Mm -hmm. They always have been to me. I've always called them my diamonds in the rough. They're my favorite people mm -hmm. to work with. They're not the super highly educated um, and highly schooled professionals. These people are the frontline workers. They're, they're many times very well trained. Mm -hmm. Yes. But they're not walking the intellectuals. They're professional but not intellectual. Not at all. And yes. they are really hard workers. And they have a need and a desire to help others and, and real distress. We use them at the Institute when we need help. We call the local caregiver, uh, the f first responders at the corner, and they're there. The firehouse is just down the street. Oh, they're angels. And yeah. they come and they have such heart.
Mm -hmm. oh, I love them. I just am so appreciative of them. Um, they've helped us numbers of times at the Institute. They're great. But we've, we have a relationship with first responders. And uh, as I said, they're my, they're my favorite folks as a group to work with. They go through so much. And I've helped them uh, debrief after some incredible tragic experiences. They're the first ones there. Yes. Right there. On the scene. Everything is just out of, just horrible. They're the first ones. And um, they're affected, but yet when if you watch them and you see them in action, they are go to it. Mm -hmm. And they really take care of business, and they're remarkable people. What we have seen, though, is the after effects. Since I know them personally, many of them, I see the price they pay. Uh, and it's it's a high price. Their suicide rate is 10 times that of the normal population. Their life expectancy is 10 to 15 years less. These are shocking statistics that we were just others. hearing this morning. The just, depression, the, the, yeah. the, the use of alcohol and drugs, which I've seen much of. I almost think it's built into their culture. I've seen good friends who uh, have been through so much, and I've seen what happens with the afterwards, what, they, what they've done to alleviate their pain. And they self-medicate, and it's it's not it's pretty widespread. We're not talking a few people, and these are very good folks. Yeah, the, the other thing too that, that we mentioned was cancer rates. The cancer rates are so high. In fact, some of the friends who started help us starting our nonprofit are fighting cancer. Um, we talked to a lady today, outstanding woman who has a nonprofit for. She was a first responder for thirty years. Sue. Farron. Farron. She's Sue Farron of the First Responders Resiliency Inc. And we hope to have her as a guest very soon. She's very. She's got a lot of charisma. She's been there and back. And what we, what we, you know how we feel that until you've been there, you can't really know mm -hmm. and have the empathy you need. And we've, we've been those people ourselves. And it doesn't come easily. It comes with loss and pain and trauma. And she speaks about it very openly. And interesting, we had a talk today, and she said she doesn't know, and neither do I, anybody who's a first responder that hasn't had trauma in their past, mm -hmm. serious trauma. Mm -hmm. We have talked about that, about caregivers having a history of trauma that that is part of what draws them to the work and actually makes them more effective and sensitive and compassionate. Absolutely. But it also comes with some consequences that can be difficult and, and troubling. That's right. And we'll, we were, we're going to incorporate a lot of the things we've been talking about as uh, um, for caregivers and what they need to pay attention to to alleviate the possibilities of burning out which is that, you know, they're done when they're burned out or close to it. Mm -hmm. Particularly um, if their health breaks down as well. If their health breaks down, they're in trouble, and that's common. Yeah. Um, but we've also seen many of them, um, get, everybody t t gets compassion fatigue. Yes. It's just an exhausting experience. Giving, caring for those in distress and pain and crisis. Um, we feel that the caregivers, the first responders, are that sector deserving grouping of folks because they don't they're not avoiding the difficult part of life they're they almost it looks like just as we are they're called to it mm -hmm. and they're following a calling and it's come through an empathy and an understanding of what they've been through um, and uh, I've seen them in action so many times as strong as they are these are not polished professional type they have such heart. Mm -hmm. And I've had them help me with my wife. I've had them help, help me a number of times. And I, they, do, they take care of things beautifully. 
and yet I see tears in their eyes. I've seen it. Um, I've just seen some beautiful people that are first responders. I yes. know a lot of them, actually. Yes. Um, I trained with them. So I, I really have a great appreciation for them. But what we really are concerned about is self-care for them and for, for first responders. And it's just as applicable for them as it is for any caregiver that we talk about. All the folks that are drawn into this very difficult condition of life that most people would want to run away from or deny. I think um, we had uh, Teresa Lyons here two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? Yes. Who was a th hospice worker for 30 years, a remarkable woman who we adore. And we have a lot of hospice workers that we're just crazy about. She's one of our favorites. And she called us, in our culture, in our society, it's a death... It's a death-denying culture. Death-denying culture. Yes. Anything to avoid it. And we have seen a lot of that. We've seen families who have, you know, things happen and a person's moving toward dying and death and pain. We've seen parts of the family come through, incredibly so, and others just disappear. Um, they just can't cope and they just can't deal with it because it is facing mortality. It is facing death and it is so hard. No one's denying it. And, and if we all had our choice, who wouldn't want to run away? But the choice that first responders make is not to run away, That's but to right. stay there and to help. And, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our first segment today, uh, what we are going through as we are recording this episode in our area is the Kincaid Fire up uh, near Geyserville. And we're talking about, we have been talking about the trauma of wildfires, evacuation uh, for the people who are affected, their homes are affected, but there's also the trauma of the first responders who are caregivers who are there on the spot to help them. Uh, I could add in PG&E workers. Some of them are on the spot to see some horrific things. Um, first responders are a deserving group of people who uh, go through incredible, uh, difficult situations without running away and are in great need of self-care because the statistics on their health and well-being are disturbing. And we would like to offer some some help and support. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say hello to many of my friends who are first responders. Um, some of them are firefighters, and other are in police services, and then they're straight out um, first responders. I also want to say hello to my friends back east that I've grown up with. They've been very tuned in lately to what we're going through with my wife, and they've been so sweet and supportive. It's amazing to have friends for that long <laughs> and knowing me with my worst days and here we are and they are they're right at my side and I want to say hi to everybody and thank you. Um, 
what Jenny's talking about, I I gotta say, I mean, I I am so impressed and so touched. It's interesting because we take care of people going through trauma all the time. We have our own trauma and how it affects us, which even makes us more empathetic and caring and more pained. But yet when I see other people and I see their empathy and their concern and their capabilities, I am impressed. I am moved. Not only our own team of caregivers at the Institute that are just astounding, but I'm seeing so many others, and I just can't tell you. It just touches my heart. Their caring ways, their skills, their abilities, their specialty, and they jump right in there where things are the hardest, the most frightening, uh, the most threatening. They're right there, and they are heroes, period. Um, and that's all I can say. I consider them heroes. And I love them, and I'm very grateful to them. But today I want to I want to talk about a little bit about some of the things that we've been talking about all along. I do want to not overlook the hundreds of thousands of people who are being evacuated and infected by these fires and what's happening and how they're feeling and what it's putting them through. Thousands and thousands of them are now having to go to fairgrounds and shelters and live in cots, on cots and... You know, the the community, particularly Petaluma, is so generous, always has been. We have a number of shelters available yeah, here. This and is a I think wonderful community. Really filling up. They're full, full. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a wonderful city. I know because of how they treat us with my wife and how we've been for others. This is a great city. And sure enough, they're responsive as all get out again. So very impressive. And these people that are coming in are disoriented. They're traumatized, they're frightened, um, they're overwhelmed, and they need somebody to just settle them down, come alongside them, and give them a little comfort during these difficult times. And that's who we are, and there's many others that are doing the same thing. But I want to talk about this because we talk about trauma recovery. Well, right now we're in the midst of it, and you know, one of the things about being in the midst of it is you can't get too far ahead of yourself we we at this time at these times it's just helping people put one foot in front of the other and take it one step at a time just how to cope just with the practicalities and realities of what they're going through um that's that's where where we are right now and so we want people to slow down and give themselves a break because they have so much to cope with it's very easy for folks to get ahead of themselves with fear and worry and that only makes things worse. And this is a time that that is so, such a natural thing emotionally to do. We want to remind folks, don't do that. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. You've got enough on your plate right now. Just deal with what's in front of you and take care of that. At one, take it one thing at a time and just get through it. That's what's most important right now. Later on, you'll have time to reflect and, and, and grieve. And I, I'll tell you one thing, whatever we wrote and however we helped people two and a half years ago, we have learned so much since then. So when I talk about these things, I can talk about it from a personal understanding as well. Um, and, you know, there is a time. There's so much loss that people are experiencing now. So many are going to lose everything they've placed as important in their life their homes, everything, all their, everything they, they valued is, is going up in flames. 
and all the security that they've had is gone. They're escaping with their lives, and that's, thank God for that. But it's a very traumatizing time. So here's these folks that are feeling just stripped down to their very basics. Um, and that, that that's a tough thing to see. It's a tough thing to to watch people and how they feel and how frightened they are. It's our job to come alongside them and comfort them and reassure them. All I'm saying is, for the folks that are going through this, slow yourselves down. Just take it easy. And yes, you are experiencing loss. And, and there will be grieving. And it's so important. I can speak from experience now much more. You got to let yourselves grieve. And you will. And it may not, it's funny, it's funny with the forms that grief takes. Um, sometimes you may not even connect with what's happening for a while just out of survival. And you almost turn off and go into automatic. And you know what? For now, that's okay. Sometimes that's absolutely necessary. Absolutely. I've been in that state many times temporarily. But the key really is um, you have to really come to a point of letting down. And the pain of grieving is intense. No one likes to do it, but you're going to. The losses are hard and heavy and traumatizing. So when that does happen, don't be hard on yourselves. Give yourselves permission to go through this in whatever form it takes. I'm not talking about a clinical um, approach. I'm talking about a human approach. And grieving is a funny thing because people think, oh, you just sit there and you live in sorrow and you cry and really, well, how about, how about anger and being inflamed and irritated and overwhelmed and frightened beyond belief and panicking and traumatized? That all has to do with grieving. And you got you to gotta somehow give yourself the space to let yourself go through this. The problem when people who don't, and I've seen this too many times, and I've seen many first responders do this, they stuff it, and they feel they gotta be strong all the time, so they don't let themselves come to grips with it at all. It has, and we've talked about this before, it has a toxic cumulative effect that eventually will come to a point of making you ill, and it can cause lots of problems as far as behaviors go. Um, people um, do self-medication. I've seen so many first responders do this. And they become alcoholics. They use drugs. They, they have trouble in their personal lives. Their families break apart. Divorce rates are very high. Um, I've seen all of it. And it's heartbreaking because these are good people. Um, but it's, that's what happens because they don't know how to cope and deal with this. The deep. aftermath. They don't. And of, of what they've they've experienced in helping others, what they take home with them, and what they do need to work through and process and get through. Yeah, to work through and process, that's really important. Forgive me, but I have a lot of friends that are first responders. They don't do that. There's kind of an ethos, or I don't if that's quite stigma. the right word, stigma of uh, you got to be tough. You don't show weakness. I was trained for this job, and I can do it, and I don't need to say, okay, this this was painful. This was overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This affected me. I think they want to be able to say, this did not affect me. I am a professional. And, and that's they, not human. No, but they're very strong people. I, there's no taking it away from them, but they're human. And I think one of the things that stigma means is negative 
negative um, interpretations of these experiences. If they really let down and they show how they're really feeling, they're afraid that they're going to be considered unreliable. And I've seen team members treat others that do let down as unreliable. Yes. I have seen this. Yes, I've seen it too. And I've seen also they feel that they're weak and they shouldn't be and that if they let down, they're not going to be able to regroup and deal with things in the future. None of that is true. But I've seen the attitudes and the stigma that goes with it. So instead, they stuff it. And they hold down and they push down so much grief, so much pain, so much trauma. And it, it builds on itself. And in their profession, my God, you can count on it accumulating. accumulating. But the problem is it becomes it goes to a toxic level. And this, eventually the body will turn on itself. And um, I was reading a study just today about the kind of cancer that first responders get to because they're stuffing a lot of the adrenalized experiences and they don't deal with them. Eventually they develop a kidney cancer because that's where a lot of the adrenaline and a lot of the uh, overload goes to. We know someone who had breast cancer too. And we do. I've known others that have had. That's right. Yeah. They're very courageous, but you know what? That approach... Stuffing it is not the way it's to go. Deadly. It's, it's deadly. Absolutely deadly. Yes. And so is self-medication and so is self, uh, you know, drinking, alcohol, drugs, uh, turning on your friends, turning on your loved ones, turning on your your um, fellow, you know, fellow um, compatriots. And that happens a lot. So there's got to be some other way of approaching this thing. And we know that there is because we're devoting this show, we're devoting our lives to helping others and uh, showing them a better way um, to regroup, that to show them that there is hope, but they're going to go through everything anybody else goes through, but they can't do it at the time because they've got to deal with such critical situations. That is the truth. Let's come back to that, all right? Let's Because that's that's crucial. That's a that's, key thing. And I'm, that's called pu- pushing, pushing the, the pause, pause button. button. Okay. Let's come back to that. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. <clears throat> we were just talking before our break, uh, not only about the experience of the people who uh, are homeowners, uh, residents who have been affected by the wildfires, but also the first responders that are helping them. And just in general, the uh, risk for first responders in the traumas that they experience for them to take on a toxic load of trauma and distress that can affect them physically, emotionally, it can affect their relationships, and yet there can be, and we have seen such stigma against uh, fire first responders, fire paramedics, uh, police, all of these, uh, from admitting that they have been affected in some way by the very painful, difficult experiences on the job. It can be uh, just uh, an, a very, very hard for them to say, I need some help. Or I need to take some time. Well, I think that's right there. I need some help. To them, that means weakness. Yeah. We used to deal with that with the Navy SEALs, and they were, in, they were suffering. 
So we've seen that before, and we know that that, is, that attitude has got to change. And seeking help and needing help isn't a form of weakness. It's actually an awareness and a consciousness that needs to develop. If you're going to be in this work for the long haul and keep your health and well-being and keep your life intact, you've got to take a new approach. Most of the first responders I know are pretty tough, strong folks. i got to say that. But the kind of toughness I see has to have come from a different time in their life. It's just built into them. Um, and it tells me there's been trauma and their way of responding to the trauma in the past was to stuff it, to be strong, um, not to show weakness, um, and um, to survive. I was one of those people. And it's understandable at the time. The that, that's the value of it. I'll just to break in just a moment to say that there is a value in that in the moment that they are serving in the experience, in the, the work that they're doing. If they can stuff it while they're working, and we call it the pause button. It's not really stuffing. It's not stuffing. It. So let's, let's explain what the difference is between stuffing it and pushing the pause okay. button. I think with the stuffing, we've alluded to it earlier in the earlier part of the episode, last episode, and that is where instead of coming to grips with the emotional impact of what you've been dealing with, and that means most, most of these first responders to just caregivers like us they're empathic type people they're strong but underneath they're very empathic in other words they're givers um, deep down they're usually very sensitive people and they've got developed that sensitivity for their own wounds their own pain and traumas of their own life but what happens is it leaves them vulnerable to um, a lot of that kind of pain from their past even getting drawn out, particularly when they're suffering with exhaustion and depletion, seeing people die and seeing people terrified, they absorb it. They take on that energy. Not only are they putting out a lot, but they're taking on a lot. So what begins to happen is it, it affects them, but the way that they've learned to deal with it is push it down and not deal with it because they're afraid it'll weaken them, make them less effective. They won't be considered reliable anymore. And I've seen teams treat people like that, and they've been wrong, but I've seen it. Um, so that's one way of thinking. That's stuffing it. And by the way, that stuffing it has a cumulative effect where eventually you reach a very toxic level, and that's when things go very, very bad, health-wise, emotionally, and every other way. You're talking about definitely a burnout, but even more serious than that, losing your physical health, your mental health. Um, it's pretty. Your spiritual life just falls apart losing your sense of purpose and meaning in life. It's pretty rough stuff, to be honest with you. You're talking about painful. So that's what stuffing it is. P pushing the pause button, though, is much more constructive and positive in ways to deal with the present, even when you've been triggered and your old emotions and your old pain from your past comes up. It doesn't mean that you can deal with it at the time because it's, it can interfere and contaminate the work you've got to do in the present. So we can't have that, but you got to be aware of it because it's affecting your body. Once that happens, those emotional states are definitely affecting you physically. Um, what we have taught people and what we continue to talk, teach people is how to push the pause button. What that means is becoming aware of how you're being affected by what you're dealing with, what you're absorbing, what you're helping other people deal with under traumatic situations, life and death situations. Um, it affects you. 
No question about it. Your adrenaline levels and your hyper alert levels are through the roof. But what happens um, is you have to deal with the situation at hand, period. That's your job. But you've got to know how it's affecting your body, how you're, what you're feeling. You've got to check in with yourself to see where you are. And if you know yourself, you'll know, wow, this is an overload. This is more than I normally do. The key really is when the crisis is over and the, um, the difficulty is blown over, then you've got to deal with the impact of all of this. That means the emotional states that have been stimulated. It always involves pain and suffering and struggle, and it feels not good. But here's the thing. Learning to deal with it and getting help dealing with it gives you an ability to debrief, decompress it, straighten your body out, and get it, re give it relief from the pain that it's absorbed, um, relieving and getting some kind of catharsis or relief for your emotional states. And after you do it, you begin to clear. And all of a sudden, you feel hope again. And you feel a love for your work again. And you can go back refreshed and renewed, even if the situations are difficult and dire. First responders, people who specialize in trauma recovery, such as ourselves, you know what? We're going to be going back to very difficult situations that most people on an ongoing basis don't go through. But you can go back with a refreshed, positive, nourishing, nurturing outlook. And you do feel the hope that things are going to be okay. They're going to be okay for you, and they're going to be okay for the people that you're helping. And I'll tell you, when you're helping folks that have been traumatized, like we are seeing with these fires, they need to know there's hope. They better get it from somebody because right now they've lost everything that mattered to them. So they've got to have somebody with them that exhibits and lives in hope in spite of the difficulty without being Pollyannish and ridiculously performing and phony. I mean a genuine down-to-earth hope that you're going to make it, even if this is rough. In fact, through all of this, we do we have seen so many times people improve. They become more real and more genuine. And they begin to get their values about in life straightened out. And all of a sudden, what's really important sticks with them and the other things fall away. So their values begin to come into balance, maybe for the first time. And it comes through dealing with the struggles and pain of trauma. And also dealing with the effects of it so you can move on. So these things are very, very important. Um, I know this is serious stuff, but I'm also offering people hope that it maybe it is serious and the situation right now that we're seeing is serious but it's not the end and things will improve and there will be hope in fact we've seen people come out of this not with post-traumatic stress only but there's a thing called post-traumatic growth that they begin to reevaluate their lives and decide there's things in life that didn't mean that much to them that weren't that important that they were overemphasizing and they begin to see what really means something in life the relationships with people are more important than money and status and power and, and distort, distorted competition. They begin to take a more empathetic, compassionate view of other people. It's amazing. You know, I'll talk to people that have that empathy that are first responders and they hear about my wife right on the phone. You can't miss it, how their heart 
and empathy. I still have a hard time adjusting to how they're right there and they're sincere, genuine, and they know what it feels like and they are just loving and supportive and acknowledging. Uh, these people are amazed. They amaze me. I may be one of them, but to re be a receiver of it is another experience. So I see that happening. So there is improvements that can actually come from going through this, but you still have to go through it. Can I ask, I'd like to ask, because I know, uh, and you mentioned this earlier, you have been part of uh, debriefing, uh, which is, is in some ways more than just that word. There's actually a process called critical incident debriefing yeah. uh, that is a, a, a skill, a, a tool, a guided process. Mm. What kinds of things have you seen happen for first responders willing to go through that kind of process? Well, one of the things that I see is first responders have a hard time debriefing. And not all, but a lot of them, even my friends do. But interestingly, um, they have come to me personally, and they needed to talk about what they had just been through. Um, I can remember some horrendous, nightmarish experiences that they went and they were the first people on the scene. Um, and I'll never forget some of the descriptions of what they had to deal with. And they dealt with it, I mean, perfectly. They were wonderful. In the moment, they were oh, totally professional. It's the best. But afterwards, they're a mess. Yeah. And they know it. At least the people I know know it. Yeah. And they would ask, they'd talk to me, or they'd want to know if I'd be willing to hear about what they want, they needed somebody to talk to. It's the kind of experience they couldn't share with just anybody. No way. And I, of course, was there for them a number of times. And I would also, you know, it's funny, just getting them to relate to how it affected their body. They didn't even know. Was that difficult for them to kind of yes, grasp? It was. And I said, what does your body feel like? going through this what do you what do you what's the what's your instead of feeling like they're mentally ill because that was a stigma that I didn't want to feed into I go so what's happening with your body after all of this and they'd have to really try to reconnect with what was going they would completely disconnected from how all of these hor horrific things affected their body and um, then I begin to talk to them about it. And we've, we've helped them in many ways, not only once they recognize it, but once they do, to help them discharge the pain that their body was holding. It was a, a, an avenue, a way for them to approach that in a less, as you said, less stigmatized way. Yeah, and, I, and I, uh, we are able to do that. We've developed a, a, a body work over almost 50 years. Um, that has to do with trauma recovery. It's remarkable. It's life-saving. Is it the whole story? Of course not. But it's so much nicer to be able to get rid of all of that charged-up energy that was from the trauma and begin to come back and come down to yourself, come back to yourself, and also see things with a little bit more a clear perspective again. Does it mean the situation's going to go away? Well, if you first responder, it's only till the next one. Till the next call. And we, we're the same way. Yeah. And yes, it's. but you know what? You go refreshed and renewed and smarter and wiser and a more mature person. And I, I think to me that that's what I've seen more and more. And I've also seen the really good first responders have an attitude that I feel is very important. They have an attitude of a desire to learn and to grow and keep an open mind to new skills, to new abilities, to new emotional capacities, 
some of my friends who were team leaders, uh, captains and chiefs, um, it's amazing because they want to know how to be better for the next time. So they're always interested in growing and improving and being better leaders and also being more tuned in to their team members who might be suffering and struggling and wanting to know how to help them. Yes. Um, the best help in this, honestly, I think Sue said it today, is I want to say I don't, I don't like peer groups per se, but I think if you can train a first responder on how to do these things, they're much more empathetic and much more tuned in because they've been through it themselves. Sue is like that. I heard it on the phone. She's, got, she's been through so much, and she's got that empathy. It's, the peop- it's just like people who speak to me about what we're going through with my wife, Lynn. And they said, nobody could tell you about it until you've been there yourself. Once you've been there, it's a whole different story. And you know what you go. You know what it feels like. You know what 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 you're going to go through. You know what others go through. It's it's not compassion. It's empathy. It's identifying, knowing, understanding, and being able to do the right things to help others. With the with as you said, with the ability also because having gone through it and in some ways coming out the other side, so that that these someone who would lead a peer group type uh, would have had the experience and worked it through and have something of value to give back with. Let's come back to that. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our last segment, we were talking about um, specifically what is the constructive way for first responders and others dealing with uh, traumatic situations to not just stuff the pain and the difficulty and the distress that they take on, but to push the pause button. We talked about the specific differences involved there. Uh, Peter also reviewed some of the experiences he's had helping first responders debrief and decompress Mm -hmm. from these experiences and how important that is and how that can lead them to a more mature, uh, more skillful uh, approach to their own work. And And themselves. And themselves, and how they can then be leaders or peer support for the other people on their team. Yes, but I want to put a a condition on this thing, and we've done it with Navy SEAL, this condition, because we've seen it happen. Um, To turn people loose with each other, though, as a peer group, and all of a sudden think that just having a group of people who are going to vent their resentments and their bitternesses and their anger and their pain um, is enough um, to be considered a, 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 a peer group kind of or a, a, a healthy thing to do. I have found just the opposite because they can feed on each other and instead of finding a way through it and out of it, they just fuel it and just indulge it and nobody gets better. Yes. And it's a dumping ground without any end. And I don't think that's okay. And that's why you're saying that, that you're saying that someone who hasn't actually worked through things can't help others work through them. Everyone just stays stuck. And they need to be trained. 
Yes. Training is really important. If you're going to be a leader and you're going to even take on that kind of facilitator role, you better know what you're doing because it's a, it's a high-risk kind of um, position to be in. And we saw that, and I always read back, go back to Chris Kyle, and the Navy SEAL, who meant well. Yes. And um, he was a peer, and he understood, you know, warriors. He carried a great burden of guilt because he wasn't able to protect enough Marines. And so he took a psychotic Marine to a shooting range, which was, oh, broke my heart. And he was shot in the back, and so with the fellow he was with. Both were murdered. Yes. You know, that's not what we're talking about. No. We're talking about someone being trained to, who has empathy, but then how to deal with it with some discernment and skill um, and some common sense. And it's, it's, uh, it's different. It takes a different kind of training. Um, it's not just the logistical training of on the job, you know, what you do on the job when you're in the midst of a fire, in the midst of, you know, they're very well versed in that. But it's, how about afterwards? What do you deal with? How do you deal with this afterwards? If I'm going to lead people, do I know how to do this skillfully? Um, have I been through it myself? And uh, how it, I need somebody to supervise me and to bounce things off of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really encourage that a lot. I, I know I do it with the Alzheimer's and stroke organizations. I tell them the same thing. You've got to get people that are um, well-trained, um, and have empathy as well. Um, not just straight clinicians, because they don't have it, or folks that have been through it themselves and don't have the training, so they have a lot of compassion and empathy. But when it really comes to helping people, they don't know what they're doing and they get overwhelmed. So I've seen enough of this to know what doesn't work, and we've done it enough thousands of times knowing what does work. Easily, it's not. But we're not talking about an easy job and an easy part of life. We're talking about real serious stuff. We're talking about the gold standard of support. And we're giving people a toolbox of help because we feel they are the most deserving of our help and support. How do we know it? We're in the same boat. I'm sitting here today. I am still vibrating from what's going on out there on the streets and in mm-hmm. the community. Yeah. Um, and then on top of, and that's on top of what I'm dealing with my, with my wife, um, and the burdens and responsibilities I carry there. And yet, I'm not the only one. There are plenty of people that are going through this, and so you have a you have another traumatic event like these fires on top of the level of stress we're already under, or the kind of work we do that's stressful. Mm-hmm. And man, it is over the top, and it take it does take a strong person to be able to do that in a resilient person. But it's a different kind of strength. It's a strength that when you're you're called to do the frontline work, you better be strong. It's also the strength of admitting your vulnerabilities afterwards, seeing them for what they are, and getting help in dealing with them. And I, I'm a great um, proponent of that. So um, either, although we're, I'm dedicating this show today to the first responders, they deserve it. And they're out there fighting fires. They're helping people that are devastated and traumatized and freaked out. And they're doing amazing. I don't know how they do it. I absolutely don't know how they can do what they're doing. It's such an overwhelming job. But they're doing it willingly. Out there putting their lives on the line for others. These are the true empaths. Um, 
These are the stronger ones, though. They are a tough crew. They are. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah. First responders are tough folks yep. with heart and empathy. Um, they're givers. There's no question about it. Um, I, I just I just love them, and they've helped me so many times in different situations at the Institute and in personal situations, too. Um, I've never needed it, but my wife has, and they've been superb. I couldn't ask for anything more. They become friends. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends that are first responders, very close. And then when they need help and they're sick, I'm there for them. Yes. And we are close after that. It creates a bond that's lifelong. And I have it to this day with numbers of them. Um, and we're, it's just like if I haven't seen them in a while and we see each other and they're in need, it's, it's so easy for me to just be myself and to be there for them and with them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, yeah, we don't have to talk clinically. And these folks, by the way, are very well-versed clinically. If you, in practical terms, uh -huh. they're highly trained. Very highly trained to handle any number of situations. They're amazing. So they don't, they're not afraid of dealing with the most difficult physical and mental crises. It's just... And they're, tr they're trained to do it. It just takes a toll on them like it takes a toll on us. So, so today we're reaching out to all of you first responders with love and gratitude and appreciation for what you're doing in the various communities. We pray for your families, which we know this is hard on them. You've got to have special family to back you up in the kind of work you do. And, and I know many that do. Um, I know I've had that with my wife for many years. I couldn't have done it without her support and backing me up. So our love to you, our appreciation, um, anything that we can do for you, we're willing, we want to do. Um, the tools that we have, the skills that we have, we're willing to help you with. And they work because we've had a lot of years to perfect them. Trauma recovery is our specialty. So anything we can do for you, we want to reading our manuals, listening to our broadcasts are going to be a great support and education to you. I'm sure you. I've heard, I've heard that from a lot of people. It's meant for you. And where does it come from? From people who have empathy and heart, not just clinical skills, believe me. And we want it to be that way, human to human first. And anything we do that creates a, a barrier to our communicating what you need, we're willing to if we know about it, push it aside because it's just our ego isn't what's important. It's what you need from us. And you've certainly been there for all of us, so why shouldn't we be there for you? Um, so I just want to offer this up to you today. I don't know what the timing is segment-wise. We have a little more time, and I have something I'd like to, to mention in the time that we have left, and that is... Um, the purpose, the, the, the calling that first responders have to help and to give in these difficult times is something that ordinary people can also bring into their lives. If you've been affected by the fires or you know someone's been affected by the fires, there is value and satisfaction in helping yeah. others. You don't have to be a trained first responder no, no. to find some way to contribute and support the people around you. If you have lost, uh, if you're evacuated, it might help you 
to uh, reach out to someone nearby. It might help you get through your difficult time. Or if you are saying, boy, you know, I've got my home, I've got, uh, things are going well for me, but maybe there's some way I can help the people who are hurting so much. Take advantage of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, That's a really good point. And it's another way of coping. I'll be honest with you. If your problems are just overwhelming logistically, emotionally, whatever, you know what's really amazing? When you start reaching out to help others that are struggling, it gives you time to kind of get out of yourself and to be there for those folks instead. And it's, it's very fulfilling. You, can get, you will get back to your own when you're ready, believe me. But it really is another step in your own healing process. And we highly encourage it. Um, if you're doing it after a period of time and you're running away from um, your own pain and your own, that's a different story. But when you're in the midst of it, helping others really is, oof, it, it's an amazing fulfillment and a healing process right in the midst of your struggles. So I have a, that, I'm glad Jenny brought that up. I really am. That's really important. Um, and we see that in our community. We really do. Mm-hmm. I I was just sharing. Uh, my husband and I went uh, had some food last night late, and we we were not evacuated, but we lost power. And mm-hmm. the people at uh, the restaurant we went to were so kind. These young kids were working so hard, and they were giving discounts to people who'd been evacuated. And they looked so fulfilled by the hard work that they were mm-hmm. doing to serve these people. And so I just I could see it in their face. You know, it's funny, I was at, uh, where I keep my horses, they're just, a lot of people are bringing their horses in. You know, it's like caravans. And the lady who runs our sale is 97 years old. And you never met such a vibrant 97-year-old, June. But um, we were talking to someone who had just, ha- just been evacuated the night before. They came in late at night with their horses. And she will not charge anyone. And she needs the money, too, who's been evacuated. She takes care of their horses. She's sweet and supportive to the folks. Um, She introduces them to me. (laughs) And she's so kind. And, you know, for business people who have their own overhead, you know, they need money, too. But June absolutely will not take a dime. She's an amazing woman. I love her. Um, And I love there was another thing to really appreciate about June. And this also uh, connects to what you were saying earlier, that, that having gone through very hard times helps us clarify our values and what matters most. Yeah. And you're saying for June, what matters most is not the income that she could get, but the fulfillment she gets out of helping people in need. Oh, yeah. She's, she's an amazing woman that way. She's got her values set right. And at 97 years old, you've got to figure something out. By now. <laughs> <laughs> but she was really outstanding. I love her. She rides her tractor and she does work. and She's amazing. But yeah, I saw her do that with some folks yesterday that came in who had told us about what they were going, what had gone through the night before. Oh my God. And you know, June was so comforting and um, supportive and giving them whatever they need and just listening to them and being kind to them taking care of their horses and ah, she's amazing i love her but anyway we're all in that boat but we've all been there ourselves we're all affected by it now um and we we want to just wrap it up and wish everyone safety mm -hmm. and uh that we take care of yourselves take care of each other The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you.
If our podcast and the information it provides benefits you or someone you care about, please consider supporting us. Uh, we Our donations are tax deductible. Go to sctraumatreatment.org and click on donations. Please also you can like us on social media, Facebook, and follow us on Instagram. Uh, our website is the Survivor's Guide to Life.com. Uh, a question for Dr. Bernstein or myself, you can contact me at 707-781-3335 or Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com. Thank you so much for listening and please join us again.